Troy alluded to a song that, that we were singing during communion, and at one point he, he the slides uh, showed the ladies' part, which is a part that I don't ever sing. And Although I've heard it before, I, this time I was really thinking about the words, and the very first line was, uh, He was born to die. That was what our, our Savior did for us. And, and because of that, He redeemed us, and that's why we're here. And I hope you're happy to be here and want to learn more about a God who, who would love us so much that He would send His Son to die for us, that He would be born to die again. And so we are excited about gathering together as a group of people who love the Lord and want to give honor and glory to Him. And so we have a, a very special reason uh, to give thanks because not only have we invited God into our presence, we have also have a representative of His who's come all the way from uh, Portales, New Mexico. I want to introduce uh, you to, to Paul Smith. Um, I have not met his wife in person, though we've had some conversations over the phone, Susan. And so I'll just go out on a limb and say his better half is <laughs> not here. Um, but we are certainly glad that she loaned us um, her lesser half, maybe, uh, for this uh, morning. Uh, and also, he uh, has a seven-year-old daughter, Kylie, that belongs to him. Paul and Susan both graduated from ACU in 1984, and since then, uh, he just really likes Abilene. He's been back twice uh, to get two additional master's degrees. Uh, and apparently um, uh, he's got a, a whole lot more in store for him because he is working on his doctorate uh, at Fuller Theological uh, Seminary. Um, but let's not talk about all the letters after his name. Let's talk about the word that God has placed in his heart to share with you. And so my prayer for you this morning, uh, as we uh, welcome up Paul, um, who, who we um, help with as he serves uh, at uh, Eastern New Mexico Bible Chair, uh, what we want to do is we want to have our hearts and our eyes open to what God is going to say through him. So, Paul, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you if you'd come up here, and we want to offer a blessing for the word that God's going to give through you, and we'll hand it over. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you so much for the servants that you have given to help lead us and guide us. And we certainly list among those Paul, who is right now reaching out to some college students who desperately need to hear about the, the love of Christ Jesus in their life. And Lord, I'm thankful for he and Susan. I pray that you be with them as they continue to, to raise Kylie. And, and Lord, I ask that this morning that you use him as a vessel, as a conduit of your powerful message that will be spoken today. We give you all the praise and the glory. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I want to thank you so much for the invitation uh, to be here this morning. It has been uh, an honor uh, to serve the students uh, and the Third and Kilgore congregation, uh, the students of ENMU, and the Third and Kilgore congregation is the campus minister there at ENMU. And it is especially my honor to be able to travel throughout the state and West Texas to. Uh, introduce people to uh, the program at ENMU. Uh, and so it really, truly is my honor to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I, I have some, some very, very distant uh, 
connections to Hobbes. Uh, way back when, uh, just slightly after the crust of the earth cooled, uh, I'm a graduate of El Dorado High School, circa 1980. And it it was just really, really, really frustrating to those of us who graduated from El Dorado High School in that time frame because we knew basically one of two things was going to happen. Either we weren't going to get to the playoffs or our playoff dreams would end on the tattered and rugged fields of southern New Mexico. Either Clovis or Hobbs was going to smack us. And, and I never really figured that out, uh, but, you know, we'd, we'd kind of go through the teams in Albuquerque, and, and back then uh, in Albuquerque, we, we were just unstoppable. I, I can't remember exactly what our, our record was in football. We were just unstoppable. And then we'd head south, and it, it was just awful. <laughs> it was just awful. You, you, you guys grew bigger boys than, than we had or something. I, it was something in the water. But anyway, so that was my first uh, introduction to Hobbes. And uh, then uh, for about five years or so, I was a freight pilot. And uh, one, of the, one of my destinations uh, flying out of Albuquerque was to come down here to Hobbes. And uh, luckily, you didn't beat pilots up like you beat El Dorado Eagles up. And so uh, that was a, a much, much, much more pleasant uh, experience flying into Hobbs. And I will say that you all have really grown. I can remember getting the rental car out of Hobbs and, and leaving the airport. And I'm, it was, you know, there was a golf course out there, and that was just about it. Maybe a, maybe a, you know, a business or two. And I'm, I'm driving into town today, and I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> y'all are really growing, and that's wonderful. And so I pray for uh, the Lord's work and the Lord's church to, to grow here as well. Once again, what a tremendous honor to be here. And if you are visiting uh, this congregation for the first time, if you are visiting a congregation of the Church of Christ for the first time, I do hope that something that you hear this morning, something that you see, something that you experience will be a blessing to you. And if the Lord can speak through the feeble words that I have to speak this morning, then the Lord will be praised. You know, it was a bad night for Pilate. And in fact, you might go back and say that it had been a bad week for Pilate. In fact, you might even offer the thought that you had to go back quite some time before you could say that it had been a good time for Pilate. And some of this was Pilate's own fault. He was reckless. He had a diplomatic philosophy that was kind of along the lines of, well, I can do it. And in fact, I did it, so you guys get over it. He held a very important position in what he considered to be 
a backwater swamp. He hated the Jews. But he was in one of those relationships where he depended upon the Jews to be prosperous and to keep the peace so that he could gain the Roman leadership's favor so that he could climb up the political ladder. And then some of his problems were completely out of his control. Recently, his wife had been coming up to him and telling him, stay away from the Nazarene. I've been having horrible nightmares about the Nazarene, and I want you to stay away from the Nazarene. Now, as any married man can attest, if you have troubles in the bedroom, you are going to have troubles in the boardroom. And the domestic problem at home was causing him grief with his political career. Stated very simply, when mammy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, Gentlemen, the flip side of that is, when pappy ain't happy, don't nobody care. So now, here he is facing the Nazarene. He cannot get away from the Nazarene. Pilate was losing sleep. And he was losing his patience. What right did these Jews have to wake him up in the middle of the night? What possibly could this itinerant preacher have done that was so important that they had to drag him out of bed this hour of the morning. In John chapter 18, we read this story that John relates for us, and we are told that John was allowed to travel into the precinct, the area of the high priestly house. And so we might surmise that John was just a little bit closer to the goings-on, the, the, what we call the trial between Jesus and Pilate. And so we read these words that I believe John was an eyewitness to hearing. If you would like to join with me, uh, you can open your Bibles or turn your little notebook on and scroll down. You know, it was so much easier preaching 10 or 15 years ago. All you had to say was open your Bibles and turn to such and such. That is so archaic these days. Uh, so, so 20th century. But anyway, uh, turn your, open your Bibles, uh, scroll down in your notebooks. We will be reading John chapter 18, beginning with verse 28. And then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate asked, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. 
But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I have come into the world. To testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Said Pilate. The concept of truth and true and truthfulness is found over 80 times in the Gospel of John, the letters of John, and the book of Revelation. I think that if we can understand the concept of truth, we understand the Gospel of John. We could study the word each and every time it comes up in the text, and I would recommend that you do that sometime. Pull out a concordance or use your technological devices there and and just do a word search on the word true and truth and genuine and just see how many times and in what context they are used in the writings of John. But there are three principles or concepts that I think John is trying to get uh, get across to us as he uses this word. The first is that truth is found in a person. We'll back up to chapter 1, read a, couple of, uh, read a couple of verses, and then flip over to chapter 14. So we're going to read chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. John writes for us in his prologue, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, we read that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so John wants us to understand that truth is 
a person. Now, I believe all of the apostles taught this. In fact, Peter, in Acts chapter 4, in verse 12, will tell this very same Sanhedrin that held Jesus and tried Jesus on the charges of treason. Peter is going to look at them and say, salvation is found in no other name. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we are saved. Truth is not just an abstract concept. Truth is not some kind of relativizing principle that we search for in some philosophy class. Truth is Jesus Christ. Truth for John is deity enfleshed in human form in Jesus the Christ. Secondly, in the Gospel of John, Jesus pointed back to the truth of the entirety of God's will. If you would turn over to chapter 17. I'll back up to verse 13 just so that we can pick up a little bit of the context. This is uh, Jesus, what is sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays, I am coming to you now, But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So even though Jesus Christ is truth enfleshed himself, he is the definition of truth. Jesus himself pointed back and said, My Father's word is the truth. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 15. He says, Do your best to present yourself as one who is approved. How do we do that? How, how was Timothy supposed to do that? Timothy was to do that by correctly handling the word of truth. So we see that truth is enfleshed in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself pointed back to the Bible, to God's word as the truth. By emphasizing the role of Jesus, we do not minimize the role of the written word. And sometimes... Preachers today, in their emphasis on following Jesus, 
they de-emphasize the study of Scripture. And so you will very often hear a sermon, just follow Jesus. Just invite Jesus into your heart. Just be more like Jesus. And I want to say amen to all of those things. To all of those sentiments. But how do we do that? If we de-emphasize a study of Scripture, how is it that we are to know who Jesus is? How are we to know the Son of God if we do not study the Word of God? And so by emphasizing Jesus, and by following Jesus and Him only, we must, we have to, Go back to the Word of God and study the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God. We do not come to Jesus by mystical experiences. I don't want to downplay mystical experiences. They are a part of life. But that's not how Jesus reveals himself to us. We we don't come to Jesus by emotional experiences. And, And I would say very much... That when we come to Jesus, it is an emotional experience. When we stand at the foot of the cross, we cannot help but weep. But that's not how Jesus reveals himself to us. We do not come to Jesus by some kind of magical incantation. We come to Jesus through the power of his spirit. And that Spirit speaks to us through the Word. Through Jesus' Word and through the Word of God. The Bible is a path to knowledge. But we cannot make it the idol. We worship Jesus, but we study the Bible. And then third... The truth that is taught in the Gospel of John is liberating and assuring. It is not a binding and destructive truth. Jesus came to set us free. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the more we know about Jesus, the more we study about Jesus, the more we meditate on the words of Jesus, the freer we become. Learning about Jesus is not some iron chain that binds us so that we cannot move. Learning about Jesus, it's like the wings of that airplane that I flew. It's designed to lift us up. And it's designed to take us higher and higher and higher. And the words of Jesus, as we 
put them into our life, as we put them into our heart, and we let those words of Jesus flow out of our life, and as we let the, the actions of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus be revealed to everybody around us, we realize how truly free we really are. The huge irony of Christianity as viewed from the world is all you Christians think about is what you cannot do. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. You cannot have fun. You cannot smile. And the irony is Christianity is what makes life fun to begin with. Can you imagine what it must have been like in the Garden of Eden to be so absolutely, totally free? Adam didn't have to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning to get ready to go to work. He woke up and God said, what do you want for breakfast? And what do you want for lunch? And what do you want? You can have anything you want, Adam. You can have fun all day long, Adam. Don't worry about work, Adam. That's the kind of world I want to live in. <laughs> and we messed it all up when we said we wanted to be like God. And so for thousands of years, God is trying to teach his people what it is like to live in a pure relationship with God. And finally, he says, the only way you're going to get the message is if I send my son. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And so Jesus comes and he shows us what it's like to live in the presence of God, to be in that garden. And the world looks at us and they say, you guys are so boring. And I don't understand why. We, we live in the garden. Where God says, what do you want to eat and I'll give it to you. What do you want to do and I'll let you do it. If you walk in my presence. And so Jesus says, if you know this truth, it will not bind you. It will not tie you down. It will not break your heart. It will set you free. And we can live once again in the presence of God. This is the main difference between being a people that is committed to Jesus or a people that is committed to a rule book. Jesus sets us free. Jesus liberates us. Jesus redeems us from a world that seeks to imprison us, to punish us, and to defeat us. And so as a concluding thought this morning, I simply have the question, do you know this truth? Have you come to this truth? Have you let this truth Change your life. Are you seeking something that is bigger and deeper and wider and broader and richer than the garbage that this world is trying to feed you? One of my professors told us, preacher boys, one time, he said, you know, 
He said you can tell how hungry a person is by looking at the garbage they are willing to eat. And as we look at the world out there, just look at the garbage that it's trying to get us to eat. And we have a banquet that is set before us. And Jesus says, come to me. Let me feed you truth. John says, Jesus is truth. Come to Jesus. But you cannot come to Jesus on your own terms. You're not the master of your own ship. You're not the pilot of your own plane. To come to the truth means that you have to submit to this truth. And so this morning, we ask the question, have you come to this truth? Has this truth set you free? Is there someone this morning who feels like they are under the bondage of sin? They want to cast off the chains of this world. They want to come to Jesus Christ. They want to say, set me free, Jesus. I want to come home. We offer the invitation to you this morning. Maybe you have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ. But you've gone back to the world. You want to come home. You want to say, I'm sorry. You just want to have this congregation, this family of of Jesus, gather around you with their open arms to welcome you back. Maybe you have a special prayer request that you would just like to make known. If there is some way that we can help you this morning, we have this opportunity. Would you let us know as we stand and sing a song of encouragement?